Good morning. It is a joy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Will you stand with us and let's sing together. House of the Lord. Why? 
Good morning. It's a joy to share in baptism this morning. We have a total of 12 people scheduled to be baptized today. Amen. We're excited about that. But in this service, we're specializing in quality over quantity. We have one young man, one young man to be baptized in this service. This is Luke Ackerman, and his parents are Michael and Amanda Ackerman. Uh, who uh, joined our church uh, just a few months ago, moved from Georgia. They're fellow Georgians like I am. And uh, a, few, a couple months ago, in his home with his family, uh, Luke prayed to receive Jesus as his Savior. And today he comes to share that with you and to follow Jesus in baptism. If you are family or friends of Luke's, would you stand in his honor right now, please, that we could uh, see you and recognize you. We're so glad you're here. Thank you, you may be seated. Luke, in front of these folks, your family and church family, will you confess Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. On your confession of faith in Christ, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Good morning. It's always a great uh, day to start off with some baptism. So we're excited to be celebrating with these families this morning and the decisions that are being made. We want to welcome you if, uh, to worship, especially if you're a guest. I remind you, uh, we have a card. Uh, not a reminder. I say that like you know this. But there's a card in front of you uh, in the pew racks there that you can fill out uh, to get a little, know a little bit about you. And uh, you can take that at the end of the service to our welcome center to the left. And meet our pastor and uh, we just love to get to know you we don't do anything weird with that information other than it being a way to to make some connection so uh, welcome we're happy to worship and celebrate what God's doing in, in our lives and in our world as we give him praise and, and glory so we're gonna start with some prayer let's pray God we thank you for this opportunity to be in our house this morning to give you praise we thank you for the ways that you're working in our world the things that you are doing in our lives, and we want to give you the opportunity as we come this morning to give you praise for that. Even if we may not be experiencing uh, some joy, maybe we're struggling with something, God, that you meet us where we are, and we want to just bring ourselves to you uh, knowing that you are uh, a redeemer, that you love us, that you um, have a plan for us, God. So help us see that as we worship you this morning, as we sing, as we hear from your word, that you may be praised and we may be changed. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. When God is on our side, who shall we fear? Let's stand together and let's sing that song. Whom shall I fear?
Christ alone my hope is found. Let's sing that.
Bibles, let's go to Mark 9. And as you turn there, um, a few years ago, I called my sister a couple weeks before her birthday. And I said, hey, this year, instead of buying you something, I want to do something with you. What's something on your bucket list? You've always wanted to do and, and have never done. She said, you really want to know? And I should have said, no, I'll just buy you a gift card. <laughs> but I said, yes. And she said, I'd like to go skydiving. I said, okay, you call, set it up, let me know what date, I'm going to go with you. You know what the most difficult part of skydiving is? It's not driving to Tullahoma. It's not paying the fee. It's not putting on the jumpsuit. It's not even getting up in an airplane. You know what the most difficult part of skydiving is? Jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. That's the hardest part of skydiving. I bring this up to tell you that as we drop in to Mark 9, so far for the disciples in this part of their journey with Christ, life has been relatively easy. They haven't faced a whole lot of difficulty. They've been watching Jesus, listen to him teach and preach and heal and feed 5,000. His closest friends, James and John and Peter, just went up on a mountain with him and he uh, transfigured himself. They literally had a mountaintop experience with Jesus. And now they're going to come down this mountain, and for the first time in their walk, they're going to experience difficulty. And we're going to drop into this part of the gospel, and we're going to see what happens in life when you face some struggles. And so as they come down this mountain, there's a theological debate going on. What's going on here is that um, there is a man who brings his son to the disciples to have a demon cast it out of his son, and the disciples can't do it. And the Pharisees and the scribes are loving this. And so they're debating, and it's almost like the Pharisees are kind of talking trash a little bit. It's kind of like when a, um, a college football team who hasn't won a football game against a specific opponent for like 15 years 
finally wins and they just celebrate for an entire year. That's kind of what you see here in, in the text. And so, um, this story in Mark 9 is about demons, it's about doubt, and it's about dependence. And what I want you to see here first is this. Hurting people and lost people really don't care about our theological debates. They really have no concern for the things that we argue about within the church. I want you to see what this dad does when his son is hurting. Verse 17, Mark 9. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Now, Matthew's gospel says it makes him like a lunatic. And what we're going to see in the text is that this evil spirit inside of him throws him around and, and causes him harm and is seeking to destroy him. And I just want to warn you for a minute, we're about to jump into the deep end of the pool for a second. Because as we look at the spiritual warfare that's going on with this father and his son, we're reminded that we too are in a spiritual war. Uh, we too have a, the same spiritual enemy. We still are in the same battle. So the first thing we see in this text is there are demons. We have a spiritual enemy, and we are engaged in spiritual warfare. C.S. Lewis says that there's two extremes we fall into when it comes to uh, the spiritual realm going on around us, and uh, the principalities of darkness and, and Satan. He says uh, the first camp is that demons are absolutely everywhere, so you better watch out. If you had a bad hair day this morning, it's probably because of a demon, right? If you were late to church, it wasn't your alarm clock, it was the demons. Um, be careful if there's a spot beside you, there might be a demon there. Um, and you get the point, right? That every single bad thing, every inconvenient thing, everything that leads you to um, something uncomfortable or annoying... It's because of the dark forces around us. Now, there's an equally harmful side of this. Instead of thinking demons are everywhere, some people believe that demons are nowhere, right? This is just kind of a fairy tale. It's not real. It's not really going on. We don't need to be concerned with it. It's just made up by religious people to control you. And the thing we want to see here is that both views miss the mark. And what we want to be is we want to be balanced in our understanding of this. So as you look at Mark 9, I want you to see this is not a fairy tale. Uh, this is not even a parable. This is an actual story. This is a historic moment recorded by eyewitnesses. And I know when we look at the, Old, or the New Testament, it seems bizarre to talk about demon possession and things like that. But have you ever stopped and considered that in our world, there is this kind of darkness that goes beyond just human beings being self-centered? What I love about the New Testament approach to the demonic is that it allows us to call evil evil without calling human beings evil, right? That when we talk about spiritual warfare, we call demons demons so that we don't demonize people. And that's kind of what Paul says here in Ephesians 6 as we walk through this for a minute. We'll go to Ephesians 6 for a second. We'll put the words on the screen. In Ephesians 6 verse 10, it says this, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Um, put on the full armor of God so that you can stay, take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers, against this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So notice here, 
our fight is not against people. Our fight is not against each other. And, and not only that, our, our war is not against politics or, or anything else. I think the enemy would love us to focus on those two things, right? Where we would be fighting each other and fighting the things outside of us. But that's not what's going on here at all. The devil doesn't need to destroy you if he can distract you. And if he can get you distracted from the mission, he's already won. So while we're here for a moment, let's pause and let's just look at some truths we need to know about spiritual warfare. The first thing I want you to understand about spiritual warfare is this. Don't be scared of this, but be alert. Jesus says over and over and over in the Gospels, fear not. So don't be afraid of this. This is a reality of the broken world. This is real, but we have the victory. We have victory through Christ, yet we're still in a battle, so we still have to be alert. The second thing we see, or we need to see, is that Satan and his demons will confuse you with lies. What was the strategy with Adam and Eve? What did the serpent say? Did God really say? And what he brought to him wasn't an outlandish lie, but just something that was true ish, so that over time there would be a drift. It's usually not obvious, but over time you move miles away. Thirdly, Satan and his demons, they're going to tempt you to sin. First John gives three categories, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Fourthly, Satan and his demons, they, they want you to lose control. We can get distractions, disagreements, discouragement, disunity, anything that keeps us from living an intentional life, anything that gets us off the mission. Satan and his demons, they will attack you with pain, with fear, with anxiety, with despair. Here's the key I want you to see. I believe whatever the enemy fears about you the most, that's where he's going to attack you the most. I used to think wherever you were weakest, that's where the enemy's knocking at your door. And I think that's true, but that's low-hanging fruit. I believe wherever you're having the greatest impact in the kingdom of God, that is where Satan is going to attack you the hardest. It's heavy right now, isn't it? Let me give you the best news in this seventh truth here. Satan and the demons, they bow down to Jesus. They bow down to the name of Christ. Satan is powerful, but he is on a leash. God will use him in our sanctification. But listen, when he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his, of his future. His defeat is sure. And so I want to take you to one more place before we move forward, because this is going to set up next. Sometimes when we look at the battle we're in, we can get discouraged. So, so go to Ephesians 2 with me for just a moment. Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, 
and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let's pause there and make some observations. The first thing we see is there's no good people, right? Um, we do not have spiritual neutrality. We are either following Jesus or we're following Satan. We're either a part of the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. There's, there's two ways to live. So if you're not following Jesus, the Bible says, and this is so hard to say, that you are a child of wrath who is living by the ways of this world and you are controlled by the ruler of the air, Satan. That's the bad news. Y'all want the good news? I don't know about you, I want the good news, right? And here comes the good news because you get the best two words you ever find in Scripture together, right? But God. All right, let's hear the good news. Here's the good news. But God who, being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now watch this purpose statement. So that, why did God save you? It says right here, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable richness riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Now follow me for a second, right? We're in a battle, but our God is stronger. We're in a war, but our God is a mighty warrior. We fight against these principalities and powers, but our God is more powerful and no matter what you're going through today, no matter what kind of struggle you may find yourself in, there is no demon, there is no enemy, there is no one too strong for Jesus Christ Almighty. Can I get an amen? amen. But here's the question. Do you believe this? We would all say yes. But do you believe this all the time? Are there moments in your life where you need to be reminded because look what we're going to see next in the text. We will see doubt. We will see a flawed faith. So if demons and, and Satan are what we're fighting out here, doubt is what we're fighting inside here. Paul says that we're hard-pressed from every side. So Jesus is about to give a master class on faith and the nature of it. The Father says to Jesus, your disciples couldn't cast him out, couldn't cast it out. And what I love about this father is that even though Jesus' disciples might let him down, that doesn't keep him from going to Jesus. See, sometimes the church lets us down and we walk away from Christ and the church. Not this father. He says, hey, people might let me down. That doesn't mean God's going to let me down. And so he takes his son to Jesus. Look at verse 19. Jesus' response. Oh, faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? Bring him to me. That's not what I expected Jesus to say there, right? That's kind of harsh. Jesus seems a little bit cranky. I don't know if he had his coffee this morning. What's going on with him? But before we judge Jesus on this, tell me, parents, have you ever had this moment with your kids? How long do I have to tell you to go clean up your room, right? How long are you going to keep leaving your socks in the living room? My son Luke's right there, so I'm going to leave it alone. I feel like he's, he's looking at me. Hey, buddy. 
But here's the thing. I don't think Jesus is cranky in this story. I don't think he's having a bad day. I think he's, he's lamenting. Like he knows I'm about to leave you guys soon. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this in charge of you. Are you ready for this? So look at verse 22. The father responds by saying, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This is a simple, a desperate, imperfect prayer. And it changes everything. Look at Jesus' response, verse 23. He says to him, if, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Now, all things are possible not because of the depth of the person who believes, but because of the direction. When you look to Jesus, all things are possible. But, let me balance this. Sometimes that when we look to Jesus, we don't always get everything we ask for and everything we want, right? Sometimes God says no and not yet. So look at verse 24. And out of the 31,000 verses in Scripture, sometimes in my life, I identify the most with this one. Immediately the father of the child cried out and he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Is that a good prayer or a bad prayer? What do you think? I don't know. It's an honest prayer, right? Have you ever been there? God, I believe. Statement of faith. But this broken world has beaten me down to the point that sometimes I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about the goodness. Are, are, are you really going to work everything out for the good? You might be thinking, oh, how does Jesus respond to this? I want to show you. Jesus responds not by rebuking this man, but by rebuking the demon that is in his son. So I hope this encourages you this morning. Listen, no belief is perfect. No faith is perfect. You, you may, your faith may be weak this morning. It may be help. It may be puny and small. And what I love about Jesus is he takes your small mustard seed-like faith, and what does he do with it? He moves mountains. And why does he do that? So he gets all of the glory. So in this spiritual battle... We're fighting on the outside, we're fighting on the inside, and here is the point of the story. Dependence. Dependence specifically evidenced by prayer. So here's what happens. Jesus casts the demon out of the boy, right? Now here we go to verse 28. When he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can only be driven out by prayer, by anything but prayer, right? Or this cannot be driven by anything but prayer. Prayer is the only way you could drive this out. Some manuscripts even say fasting, prayer and fasting. You know what I wish this text said? That the only way to cast out this demon is through preaching. If preaching was the way we casted out this demon, that would be great. I believe this, if preaching and potlucks could cast out demons, there'd be a revival in every Baptist church. But the text doesn't say that. See, here's what I believe, and the text doesn't make this statement, but I think we see it here. The disciples began to do ministry in their own strength. You ever try to parent in your own strength? You ever try to be married in your own strength? You ever try to navigate conflict in your own strength? That's a Dr. Phil moment, isn't it? 
How's that working out for you? You see, the disciples fell into this easy pitfall of self-sufficiency. Here's what I know. The surefire way that you know that, you know that you're walking humility and dependence on God is that you look at your prayer life. Prayerlessness is the check engine light of pride. Are you humble? Let's look at your prayer life this week. Are you proud? Let's look at your prayer life. The disciples were powerless because they were prayerless. Here's the big idea. Usually we give this at the beginning, now we're going to do it at the end. The big idea is this. There is strength in your struggle if your struggle drives you to depend on God. You see, you don't need discipline to pray continuously. You need desperation. You need to be at a point where you say, God, I need you. God, I can't do this without you. The early church was characterized as uneducated men who agonized in prayer. But today's church is categorized by very educated men who organize in programming. And one of the most interesting things here I think you see in this text is how Jesus casts out this demon. If you look at verse 25, look at this. It says, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. My question is, as you read this, where does Jesus pray? At no point do we see Jesus stop and pray in all of this. He just said it can only be driven out by prayer. He's not praying. What's going on there? One answer could be, well, he's Jesus, right? But I think there's more going on here. Could it be that in this moment, Jesus is talking about more than the activity of prayer? but the attitude and the posture of prayer, which is day by day, hour by hour, dependence on God. Now, does that mean prayer is not an activity? Absolutely not. Keep your prayer list. Sign up for the intercessory prayer ministry at the, at the Welcome Center. We need to do that. Do you need to have a set-aside prayer time? Absolutely. But which is better? The activity of prayer or the attitude of prayer? The answer is both. We see both in Jesus, but sometimes we focus more on the activity instead of the day-by-day, hour-by-hour dependence. Here's what I have for you as we land the plane this morning. Knowing that your struggles will lead you to depend on God, does that change the way you view of struggle? Do you run away from difficulty, or do you lean into it? knowing that it's there for a purpose? Could it be that God would allow you the the struggle so that it would keep you dependent on Him? This morning as we look at this text, I want you to see whether it be demons or doubt or whatever it might be, being dependent on the one who is sovereign over all. That is our only remedy. So this morning, here's the invitation. I invite you to refocus. There is revival sweeping across our country right now, all over the place. And it's being birthed by a hunger and a dependence on prayer. So if you're here this morning without Christ, I want you to know, you depend on the Lord, he's going to move you from death to life, and your life will be forever changed. But for those who are in Christ, my question is, is your check light 
your check engine light on right now. If you look at your prayer life, what's it telling you? Humility or pride? Are you doing life in your own strength or are you depending on the Lord? So here's what I'd like to do in the next couple of moments. I just invite you to pause where you're at right now, bow your head, and pray. And as I pray, I'm going to invite you to pray. And I just want to lead us right now in a prayer of dependence upon the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are so good. You are powerful and trustworthy. You are beyond space and time. You're not contained in any way. You spoke the world into existence with your word, and you created us in your image and likeness. You knit us together. You formed us. You designed us to live in dependence. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So we want to abide in you as our life-giving and eternal vine. We confess that we're prone to lean on our own understanding. To naively think that we can do things in our own strength, in our own wisdom. Sometimes we view prayer as a discipline to pursue only when we find ourselves in a bind. Instead of seeing it as a life-giving thread that ties our days and our hours together. So God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your grace, continually growing and forming us more and more to the image of Jesus. We thank you that you will finish what you started. So Father, remind us that you're Father in heaven, that we're your sons and daughters. You are holy. And it's by grace alone, through faith alone, that we can come to you. May your kingdom be done here as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sin. Teach us to forgive as you have forgiven us. Father, help us to depend on you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if you're without Jesus, obviously you're doing life in your own strength. It's not going to work. This morning, we invite you to come to Jesus and surrender your life to him and depend on him forever. If you are in Christ, take an inventory this morning. Are you depending on him? The battle's too strong to do in your own strength. Do it through his. Let's stand and respond to the word of God this morning.
As we close this morning, I want to remind you as we worship through song, as we worship in the word, we also worship through giving. And so on the back wall there, there's two drop boxes. You can drop tithes and offerings there uh, on your way out. And uh, if you have your guest card, I'll be at the Welcome Center. I'd love to meet you. You can bring your guest card there. and We've got a small gift for you. And then finally, um, every year we do a re-up for our intercessory prayer ministry. So this is just like we're talking about. We depend on God in the activity of prayer and in the attitude and posture of prayer. So this is about the activity. Uh, around the clock, every hour, we have people in our church praying for our church and its ministries for at least 15 minutes. So uh, if you've never signed up for that before, or if you've signed up before but you want to re-up, uh, there's still about 20 daytime slots still available, but we've had 100 people sign up to pray for our church. So be sure to drop, drop by the Welcome Center, sign up for that. And uh, let's take a moment, let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your goodness to us. God, as we walk through a broken world, we pray that you will help us as we depend on you in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray.